one of the two book sets uh, that uh, <clears throat> is out there right now and on sale is uh, what I call Manifesting a New Normal Anthology Series, Volumes 1 and 2, uh, which is the two books, uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World, which was uh, my first anthology based on interviews from folks right here on this radio show. And uh, the second was uh, it, Goddess 2.0, Advancing a New Path Forward, uh, my second anthology, which just came out a few months ago. So these two together, uh, Volumes 1 and 2, as I said, I call them the Manifesting a New Normal anthology series, um, they, um, they are sort of answers to the important questions, um, meaning, you know, we say down with the patriarchy, may patriarchy fall, but what do we do, uh, you know, what do we replace it with and how do we get there? Because we must vision it before we can manifest it, and I think uh, the wise voices and these two anthologies uh, help us begin that journey. So uh, if you're interested in getting those two books uh, signed by me, uh, I am offering a special price right now. Uh, both copies are uh, $34 uh, shipped to you and signed and also includes some free gifts. So if you're interested in that, uh, when you hear this, uh, whether you're listening live or you're listening a few weeks down the road, uh, don't hesitate to get in touch with me because I will be keeping that price uh, available for a little while. All right, so uh, let's uh, start to focus on tonight's show. As I said, it's uh, In Search of the Ancient Mother uh, with Lisa Crow, and I will introduce you to Lisa. Uh, I learned about her work uh, because she recently gave a wonderful talk at the Goddess Temple in Orange County, uh, where many of you know uh, I often um, guest minister and give talks as well. And uh, when I heard she was talking on this topic, I said, got to get her here on the show, <laughs> got to uh, get her to chat uh, with all my listeners out there across the globe about this topic because it is such an important topic. So anyway, uh, I will introduce you to her by way of her bio. Uh, Lisa was born and raised in Michigan, and she now lives in California with her partner, Crow. Their children, Catherine and David, and uh, various and sundry furry folk, as she puts it. Uh, she's a Dianic Wiccan in the lineage of Z Budapest. Uh, she also trained briefly in shamanism. She's the author of three published novels and a fourth uh, that's in the making right now. Her writing has appeared in Of a Like Mine, uh, the journal of uh, RCG, Reformed Congregation of the Goddess, and uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley's Sword and Sorceress. Uh, currently, Lisa is working on at least two more novels, an outlining an updated collection of fairy tales that will be more in keeping with positive role models for our children, especially our daughters. Uh, very important stuff. Uh, she graduated cum laude from the University of Southern California with a BA in creative writing and finished her master's degree in library science from San Jose State University. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. How are you? I'm great. I'm I'm doing really Good. well today. I have uh this whole week I have been um taken by a fit of spring cleaning and I've actually ah. been <laughs> cleaning out files that date back to 1998. So I feel very light. Wow. 
That's exciting. Very light this week. Looking back at yes, yes, what's going on back to then. have unloaded that. Um, so, Lisa, what? Um, I, I, well, you know, I, I obviously, you, you know, I, I know your your bio says a lot about you. But was there something in particular that tipped you off that uh, our ancient stories were? Uh, not really sending the best message, um, you know, for ourselves and for our kids? Well, I was inspired um, by many writers. I'm I'm a voracious reader. But um, I think Merlin Stone actually tipped the, tipped the scales for me. I read uh, When God Was a Woman, and I got really angry, really, really angry. Um and uh, I was like, how did this happen? How did we end up in the position we're in now? I was looking at um, ancient artifacts, you know, the Venus of Willendorf and, and the little cycladic stitch statues. And I thought, well, this is the story right here. We can read these like we can read books. Cave paintings, we can mm-hmm. read those like we can read books. And I just was trying to read the story that was in these these artifacts and these images and and ancient art to figure out what the heck happened. Yeah, there's a disconnect, isn't there? Um, Very you know, much we so. see these are yeah, we see these earliest ancient artifacts, and you know, thank goodness, uh, so many of them survive. Unlike yes. maybe some of the earliest writing that uh, I mean, who knows what's hidden in the Vatican vaults? But uh, well, you know, we uh, <laughs> you know we know so much has you know been destroyed, uh, or um, you know, or, or just um, uh, you know faded away over time. Yeah, disregarded, uh, and of course. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, or disregarded, or or it's just um, um, I, for some reason I, I'm, you know, the the word isn't coming to me, but you know, in all of these years, you know, the uh, the tablets or whatever it might have yes. been written on, you know, it it may have not it hasn't survived this long. Um, right. Or, you know, who knows, it could be, you know, hidden in these ancient monasteries. Uh, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, we do, we do know that uh, sometimes, uh, you know, people in the mainstream world just uh, don't get the most current uh, discoveries that academia might have either. And right. on top right. of that, you know, we we have the problem of, you know, how things are being interpreted. Uh, I, I mean, I know yes. the struggle some uh women had with uh, the fines that were happening at uh, a Chateau Hayuk uh you know with Ian yes. Hodder the resident archaeologist out there so th- there's so many um ways to lose uh the information and you know have the truth slip through your fingers uh you know which well, makes conversations I- like ours tonight so important Yes, well, I think we look at archaeological finds through the lens of patriarchy because that is what is in control right now. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's important to maybe try to get a different perspective. I know that um, the existence of a Neolithic patristic society has been in dispute, but I really feel that the archaeological evidence and the images that we have of these little Venuses and these little, these little um, artifacts you know that uh, I had a whole slideshow, but of course that doesn't translate to to audio. <laughs> I think not that those so well. Alone, <laughs> no, <laughs> I think that those alone sort of point to um, the existence of such a society. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and unfortunately, Maria Gimbutas, um, you know, I mean, I think she was ahead of her time, and, you know, Absolutely. I hope we will still see see the day when she is uh, revered by the mainstream world, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as much as th- those of us in this community revere her work. Uh, but, you, yes. know, there, you know, there, there is a lot of evidence for egalitarian societies, at least. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. You know, and Which is a step on in the right note, direction. Yes, on that note, I just wanted to um, mention that uh, Dr. Janine Davis Kimball mm-hmm. wrote uh, In Search of Warrior Women. She she was the one who really, really did the archaeological legwork for finding um, the the uh, I want to say Amazons, but we know that actual Amazons really didn't exist as Greeks described them in mythology. But the mm-hmm. um, the Mongols of the steppes had more of an egalitarian society. She passed away on April 3rd. And, um, did she? She did. Oh. She did. I only found um, out yesterday. But I just wanted to, to put out there that, you know, I'm grateful to her for the work that she did, um, which also inspired and influenced me. Yes. Well, I know her. Um, she was she was very kind to me, and and I she have uh, chill bumps. Me too. As as you say that, I didn't I didn't know. Um, she I'm was so very sorry. kind to me when I wrote my first book, uh, Sacred Places yes. of Goddess. She uh, shared her information about her research, allowed me to yes. you know uh, quote her and use some of her pictures and. In that first book, she talked at one of my Joseph Campbell roundtables, uh, and oh, she my lives. Goodness. Uh, yeah, I mean, she, she just lived up the road in Santa Barbara. I mean, I, I yeah. think she wasn't that far away. Oh, no. I'm so sorry she to hear also, that. Yeah, she was also very generous to me in my research, and I, I appreciated her very much. You know, she answered my questions by email and clarified some things for me. Um, she was kind and generous to researchers, and I think that. Her goal was to get the information out there, to share the knowledge. Yes. And, you know, I... uh, Yes, yes. And she has a great uh, DVD out, too, uh, where she tracks, uh, you know, the DNA of of, of these uh, Amazon women. Um, So let's just... yeah, let's um, you know, let's just uh, you know, for for listeners, I mean, you, uh, you and I know who we're talking about, Lisa. But let's yes, just make sure we say it clearly. Um, you know, we're talking about Jeannie Davis Kimball, and she wrote uh, a wonderful book, Warrior Women, and it mm-hmm. is a must for your library. Um, I don't Absolutely. know if you can. If if you can get a new one, but you can probably surely find an old copy, and uh, it's, uh, it's still on Amazon. Yeah, it is still okay. Yeah, and as Lisa said, uh, you know she she showed among lots of other things, uh, she showed in that book uh, who the real Amazon women were. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know they weren't the the thing of Greek myth, but they did exist. Uh, just a bit different than, you know, the Greeks tell the story. And uh, uh, she did a lot of work over in Siberia, uncovered these graves of mummies that turned out to be female warrior Mm -hmm. women and priestesses. And, uh, I mean, it's juicy, juicy, juicy stuff. You will definitely want to know. Yeah. Such good stuff. And and um, she makes a case for, yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, go ahead. She makes a case for... Oh, she makes a case for um, these women actually, um, these women and their descendants actually um, going across all of Europe 
so we could all actually be descendants. Yes. Yes, I, I remember in the book, the book spans from like, uh, you know, the most eastern part of mm-hmm. the continent, you know, in Eurasia, uh, Asia mm-hmm. and Eurasia, and it goes all the way to Western Europe, uh, where you yes. can, you know, tr- track these different warrior women. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I think she gave me a different sense of women in the ancient world, you know, because we, we know so many cultures women were subjugated um but unfortunately you know our mainstream uh you know academia doesn't teach uh like the information for instance that that Jeannie Davis Kimball brought to the fore you know and yes. and 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 could prove you know uh so this yes. is you know mo- more alternative history that we have to go digging for uh because it yes. isn't really readily available and uh you know in, in just mainstream academia but it's real and it's out there and uh yes. thanks to to women like her and Maria Gimbutas. Mm-hmm. Um and Adrian Mayor she's another uh she recently published a book um called Amazons which um uh, builds more on Dr. Davis Kim, Dr. Kimball Davis's work. Yeah, um, she I I actually interviewed her here. You can find her oh. interview in the archives as well. I will definitely yeah. look for that. Um, but she's yeah. another one who who showed that there is an alternative um, to to ma- like you said mainstream mythology. Also, Carol Christ mm-hmm. wrote. Uh, yeah. No, sorry, Charlene Spretnak is the one I was talking about. She wrote a book called um, Lost Goddesses, something like that. Of ancient that Greece. Is, yeah. Yes, that yeah. is where I actually got the alternate stories of. Um, Oh, Demeter and Persephone. Yeah, I use that little book, uh, another one, readers, go buy your used copy on Amazon. I mm-hmm. use that when I go out and teach uh, writing classes or or give talks on reawakening our earliest sacred stories and yes. read some of, like like the Pandora story, for instance, yes. in Charlene's yes. book. You know, because imagine if we had been brought up with that being the story of Pandora rather than the story that everyone learns, you know, when they're in grade Which school, Eve. you know. <laughs> yes. Which is the same yes, as yes. Eve and the Apple story, basically that women brought the downfall of humankind, which, if I may elaborate on the uh, Pandora story, it's actually the opposite. Pandora yeah. is Greek for all gifts. She was a giver of yeah. gifts, not the cursor of humankind. Um, so it's it's just, you know, we have to go out there and we have to look. But it helps to know what we're looking for. There's True. actually a True. vase. There's actually a vase, or calyx, I guess it is, at uh, the British Museum. And the depiction of Pandora shows her rising from the underworld. And it wasn't a box that she had. It was a... a, a a jar, I guess, a, a specific type of jar, mm-hmm. where she um, actually, it's a pithos, which, like I said, is a specific type of jar. And she is not the woman who loosed all the woes of mankind upon earth, like the Abrahamic tradition of Eve. She is woman who brings, who is a gift to the world. Yeah. She yeah, is, absolutely. And 
and maybe we'll even read that little uh that short little snippet of uh yes. of of Pandora before we get off the air. Um I ha- I don't know if you have it handy. Um but uh just a book. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Good. Well, you know what? As long as we're on Pandora, why don't you why don't you thumb to that page? Uh, I think it okay. might be a good time right now to, you know, tell you know give readers the uh, readers give li- our listeners uh, a sense of what we're actually talking about because you know it, it feels like you you and I know what we're talking about you know yes, so let's let's yes. make, <laughs> you know it, it, it's like we're, we're having this writing. private conversation. Yeah. I don't want to do yeah. that. Okay. Lost Goddesses of Early Greece. I love this little book. This is my daughter's bedtime storybook when she was smaller. <laughs> um, I can and we see why. Pandora story. Well, yes. Let's give her the, yeah. you know, the other stories. Um, and and you, while you're... Okay. Well, and while you're looking for that, I'll just mention to to listeners that uh, you know the the Demeter Persephone uh, pre patriarchal story. Hades isn't even in the story. Uh, no, I mean, it's a story no. about a mother and a daughter. You know, there's no rape, mm-hmm. there's no abduction, no. which you know, in uh, you know, it's a story about a mother and daughter. You know, maybe it's a. I mean, like the way we teach it in Cakes for the Queen of Heaven, it's a story mm-hmm. about a daughter. A daughter daughter learning to go on and become a young woman and lead her own life. Yes. It's about the mother's grief at having to cut the apron strings and yes. you know, of course, you know, and it's this, it's the story of the seasons still, but it doesn't yes. have that that ugliness of the rape and the abduction which later no. gives men license to do these ugly things because if God can do it then, you know, men get the idea that they can do it too. And exactly. uh, that well, wasn't no the fight was the original story. Yeah. 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 Snow White also, you know, Snow White is not a story of an evil stepmother. Snow White is an initi- an initiation into the goddess mystery story to me. Think about it. She's got well, we'll have to the talk about that. Let's, let's, let's yes. talk about that after you um <laughs> okay. after you read the, the Pandora story. Okay. The Pandora story according to Charlene Spretnak. I think I'm saying her name correctly. That's how it's spelled. Uh-huh. Um and it's on page 53 of my copy. So I'm going to start reading. It's not very long. The Kore, or maiden, form of the earth goddess, is Pandora. She is pictured on ancient vessels as a figure rising from the earth with outstretched arms. This is the often portrayed um, Anodos, the arising of the goddess. Sometimes she is labeled, uh, I think this will be Gaia, or Anisadora, she who sends up gifts, or Pandora, giver of all gifts. Classicists familiar with the original role of Pandora have called Hesiod's famous story, which features the goddess as a curious, troublesome girl, a, quote, perverted version. No longer does Pandora bring the abundance of the earth goddess gifts in her great jar, her pitos, but only disease, misery, and death. In addition to her deed, the nature of her birth also was altered by the Olympian system of mythology. Perhaps the most spirited expose of this transformation was written by Professor Jane Ellen Harrison in 1903. Quote, Pandora is in ritual and matriarchal theology, the earth as Kore. But in the patriarchal mythology of Hesiod, her great figure is strangely changed and diminished. I think it's diminished. She is no longer earthborn, but the creature, the handiwork of Olympian Zeus. Hesiod loves the story of the making of Pandora. He has shaped it to his own bourgeois, pessimistic ends. He tells it twice, once in the Theogony 
And here the newborn maiden has no name, but she's just a beautiful evil, a crafty snare to mortals. But in the works and days, he dares to name her, and yet with infinite skill to wrest her glory into shame. Through all the magic of a poet, caught and... Oh, that's the introduction. I'm so sorry. I thought that was a myth. <laughs> Enchanted himself by the vision of a lovely woman, there gleams the ugly malice of theological animus. Zeus the father will have no great earth goddess, mother and maid in one, in his man-fashioned Olympus. But her figure is from the beginning, so he remakes it. Woman, who was the inspirer, becomes the temptress. She who made all things, gods and mortals alike, is become their plaything, their slave. Dowered only with physical beauty and with the slave's tricks and blandishments. To Zeus, the arch-patriarchal bourgeois, the birth of the first woman is but a huge Olympian jest. That was actually the introduction. I thought that was a myth. Okay. The myth of Pandora. The Earth Mother had given the mortals life. This puzzled them greatly. They would stare curiously at one another, then turn away to forage for food. Slowly, they found that hunger has many forms. One morning, the humans followed an unusually plump bear cub to a hillside covered with bushes that hang heavy with red berries. They began to feast at once, hardly where the tremors beginning beneath their feet. As the quaking increased, a chasm gaped at the crest of the hill. From it arose Pandora with her earthen pithos. The mortals were paralyzed with fear, but the goddess drew them into her aura. I am Pandora, giver of all gifts. She lifted the lid from the large jar. From it she took a pomegranate, which became an apple, which became a lemon, which became a pear. I bring you flowering trees that bear fruit, gnarled trees hung with olives, and this, the grapevine, that will sustain you. She reached into the jar for a handful of seeds and sprinkled them over the hillside. I bring you plants for hunger and illness, for weaving and dying. Hidden beneath my surface you will find minerals, ore, and clay of endless form. She took from the jar two flat stones. Attend with care my plainest gift. I bring you flint. Then Pandora turned the jar on its side, inundating the hillside with her flowing grace. The mortals were bathed in the changing colors of her aura. I bring you wonder, curiosity, memory. I bring you wisdom. I bring you justice with mercy. I bring you caring and communal bonds. I bring you courage, strength, endurance. I bring you loving kindness for all beings. I bring you the seeds of peace. And that is the end of the myth. So imagine if that were the story, you know, we heard about woman, the, you know, uh, she's abundance, the bringer of everything we need to sustain ourselves rather than the ugly patriarchal myths, you know, Hera becomes, uh, you know, the the petulant. Shrew, yeah, chasing after her philandering husband. You know, Aphrodite's no more than the boudoir babe. You know, uh, yeah. with the, you know, con- concerned about the shallowness of you know maybe beauty and love in a sense. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it 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 just sort of takes women down a notch. You know, and the, it really and does. The goddesses you know, or a shadow of their, you know, former, you know, glory and magnitude and uh um and beneficence. Um yeah, so this that's a great little book and you know, and that's a uh a, a great example of um you know, 
that these stories, you know, I, I, th- I don't think people always understand that myths go through uh, transitions and metamorphosis. They do. You know, they the, do. you know, because I, I, I don't know about you, but when I first read the Greek myths, I had no idea that I was just hearing a version of the myth. No, um, of course I didn't either. Yeah, and and I mean, for you know, people have to realize that they change. You know, going back to Demeter and Persephone, you know, there was a pre-patriarchal version, there was an egalitarian mm-hmm. version, but the one most people know, unfortunately, is the patriarchal version with the right, rape the and the Homeric. abduction. Right, the Homeric. Yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, and I think you know when when people are in my classes, um, I, they're, at first they're a little bit hesitant. I think to reinterpret or rewrite the myths, you know. It, but I say to them usually, um, look, who do you think wrote these to begin with? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know these people took creative license to write these stories. You know, who's to say that you weren't divinely inspired if you want Mm -hmm. to believe these other people were divinely inspired? You can be divinely inspired too. So, you know, take... You know, take your you know take your agency and rewrite these myths so that they can help us reshape society because that's exactly, exactly what they do. Yeah, and that is that is precisely what I'm trying to do um, with my writing is just you know kind of rewrite the stories a little bit, you know, especially mm-hmm. the fairy tales. Yeah. That's the what I'm the project I'm working on right now. You know, I love Walt Disney. I do. I love Walt Disney, but. Uh, <laughs> He's done a huge disservice to our daughters. Um, now, I will say that, you know, surprisingly, some of the the uh, more recent things are, yes. I think, coming around. Um, what was the young girl with the red hair and the bow? Oh, that's uh, Merida. I love Merida. Yeah, Merida what was and, the name of the movie, though? Oh, Brave. Brave. That was yeah. Brave. Uh Brave and uh, and even um, the recent one with uh, Maleficent. It was interesting oh, that that was you know, fantastic. Yeah, because instead of you know the you know the guy riding in on a white horse and the savior, mm-hmm. you know it was a love story between her and the young girl. You know, mother, mother, um, a mother's love. What you know, exactly. That's yeah. Um, so it. It it, uh, it it sort of shook things up a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. I really do. Um, Maleficent was great. Um, Mulan was a step in the right direction. They were getting better and better. And to be honest with you, I took my daughter to see this new live-action Beauty and the Beast, and I was pleasantly surprised Disney does have a learning curve. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> they really do. It's not really a story of... Uh, of um, Stockholm Syndrome or domestic abuse. It was actually beautifully rendered, um, seeing past flaws to, you know, the person beneath the, the defense mechanism or whatever you want to call it. I, I I don't want to give a spoiler, but I really thought it was much better than the cartoon. Okay, okay. Well, good to know. I mean, good mm-hmm. to know. I, I, these, things, these things happen slowly, but at least they're they happening, do. you know. They do. Um, 
And, you know, I don't know if you're aware of it. I just discovered this uh, a couple weeks ago, but um, I, I have a gentleman who's going to be coming on the show who's been on the show before. He uh, he wrote the book, um, oh, uh, it, it's kind of an adult um graphic novel in a sense but it's very short um it's it's i'm confusing trista hendren's girl god uh um, oh, that series i but i i can't remember it exactly but he's written something uh, similar to that where oh, you know basically you know god is a woman kind of a thing and yes. anyway he's got a, a new book out called um lucifer adam and eve and um, he's going to be on the show uh, talking about that in, in a month or so. But I want to make sure I catch he, that one. Yeah, he turns the story on its head, and 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 what's interesting about it is God, there there isn't a god. There's a goddess, and goddess mm-hmm. is controlling Lucifer. Lucifer has had a, a, a you know a, you know sort of identity shift too, and goddess is con, is is uh, you know trying to convince Lucifer that he has to get Adam and Eve to to get together to create humanity. And it's a yeah. funny, funny little book, you know, a funny, I funny little book. Check that out. <laughs> but but the reason I mention it um, is because he told me that I, on the New York Times bestseller list um, for the past few weeks, I think there a, a, a white Christian man has written uh, the new story of the Garden of Eden, and and what he's done is he's I, I think he's trying to take it in a step in the right direction you know eve isn't the evil one he is instead made adam and eve this loving couple who overcomes great challenges um but it but it was funny you know the feminist uh scholars have been talking about uh rewriting these stories for decades and it takes a white christian male to do it and he (laughs) ends up on the new york times bestseller list as long as it gets done, I think I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can agree with you, but you know, there's just a little touch of gee, uh, you know, Marilyn Stone told you this decades yeah. ago, you know. Yeah, Marilyn uh, Stone and, 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 and so many others, so many others. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I love. You know, Merlin Stone called the patriarchal version of the Garden of Eden myth. She believed it was the first piece of political propaganda, or one of the early pieces of political propaganda. Yes. You know, and I would have uh, to she was. Yeah, she was so right on. I'm sure she suffered a lot of slings and arrows for that, but. Um, you know, I think she was definitely right. Well, well, talk yes. to me, Lisa, ab- about Snow yes. White. Uh, tell, oh, well, of how, how should we be looking at Snow White? Well, I know how I'm looking at Snow White. I think it's up to interpretation. You know, my my first degree was in creative writing, and I am an author. I I write fiction. I write. Uh, I guess you call it feminist fiction. Um, it's it's sword and sorcery. You know, goddess-centered fiction, and. Um, but I've been delving into the literature, and I've been really wanting to, to redo some fairy tales because, um, you know, I have a daughter. I ha- also have my partner, and I also have two sons. So I want to give them an alternative to the princess sleeps through the best part waiting around for, you know, the prince to come save her. That's 
horrible, horrible, horrible story. Horrible. Who would ever want to be a princess? Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, in the Snow White, I, I recognized, um, I know that the three colors of the goddess I've read are white, red, and black. You know, white for the maiden, red for the mother, black for the, the wise woman. And if you think about it, Snow White has lips as red as blood, skin as white as snow, hair as black as ebony. The the, the transformational um, article in the story is an apple. And uh, I don't believe that the, the stepmother was an evil stepmother. I believe that she was taking her place as the wise woman or the crone and assisting Snow White to move from maiden to mother. Mm, okay. Through a series of, if the original fairy tales, that she, there's a, a girdle that gets laced too tight and she passes out, and then there's a comb where, you know, it's poison and she passes out. And, you know, the, the, they unlace the girdle, she wakes up. They take the comb out of her hair, she wakes up. It's the apple that she doesn't wake up from. And so what I'm looking okay. at is, you know, there's, there's an element of discarding vanity. There's an element of discarding body issues. And um, but you can't discard nature. And so I believe that there's a transformation involved, similar to a shamanic journey, where she goes someplace else and grows up and goes through her series of trials. That's the short story that I'm working on in that vein about Snow White right now. Well, that that sounds really interesting, and even uh, in, in in a way, you know, when she's asleep, it's almost as if she, it, it that's you know she um, it's it's just her transformation from exactly. one phase of life one phase of life to the next. And you know, like I was uh, thinking, uh, uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, when you said, uh, you know, she's waiting for her. You know, in the patriarchal myth, you know, she's waiting for her prince to come kiss her and awaken mm-hmm. her. And, um, you know, talking about the damage these stories do us or the influence they have on us, you know, I, I, will, I will candidly say that, you know, my mother's generation and, and maybe even a little bit of my generation, you know, my mother mm-hmm. was of that generation where they were looking for a man to sweep yep been on the white horse and take care of them and they were going to live happily ever after because that's the stories they were told you know that's how they were raised my grandparents would not send my mother to college because they said she was just going to find a man and get married anyway yeah so that's exactly what she did self-fulfilling prophecy yeah yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when people say, why do we care about these stories? You know, we, we can't say enough. These stories shape our attitudes. These sh- stories shape our culture. And if we, you know, this is just one way we can, you know, change the dynamic, you know, change how little girls and little boys think about themselves, mm-hmm. you know, change what they think about their future, uh, change how, you know, they, if they grow up to be people who have influence in the world, you know, we don't want them to be the ones that cut, cut the social safety net, you know, no, because they have no no empathy or compassion, you know. Exactly. Um, and I was going to say, we don't want to abandon the stories altogether because there is something in these stories that is beloved to us. It's, it's you know, there's something in these stories that, that harkens back to, you know, some sort of collective unconscious. You know, they, they all have the archetypes. 
you know, the, the hero's journey and whatnot. It's just that they're skewed in a way that it's not healthy for our children. Right, right. Well, and I, and I want to talk a little bit about um, how we believe we lost uh, let's, uh, you know, we can call yes, it uh, matriarchy. <laughs> um, I, I mean, there's lots of different words for it. I mean, um, I, I have, I have, I have your article in front of me. Uh, oh, okay. I'm trying to get to. Uh, I, I mean, we here. Uh, yeah, I mean, some people call it a gylanic culture, a matrifocal culture, a matrilineal mm-hmm. culture, a gynocentric culture. I mean, mm-hmm. all of those words have a slightly different meaning, but um, they do. What, what are, you know, from your research, how did we lose a society where we had a mother goddess and we believe maybe women had a higher status uh, and mm-hmm. how did it shift to patriarchy? What do we think happened? Well, what we know, what we know from from the archaeological evidence and and from reading, you know, when God was a woman, Merlin Stone basically said that you know that the the uh, I don't want to call them barbarians, but the the sky worshiping, sun worshiping, ma- um, male centered. Um, tribes came down from the north and the east and basically took over. You know, they, they married or raped the, the priestesses and, and killed people and um they essentially said, you know, worship what we say to worship or you know, we're gonna kill you. But mm-hmm. how did they come about? You know, how did they come about? What how did they arise? You know, Jane Ellen Harrison um, so that patriarchy arose from the inevitable discovery of the relative weakness of women. Um, Friedrich Engels says that uh, it, it is about inheritance, you know, and, and no man at that time, you know, now we have DNA testing, but at that time, no man could ever really know if a child was his. I mean, a woman knows what comes out of her, but a man could never be sure if a woman was bearing his child or another man's child. And so marriage was invented and and inheritance laws, establishment of property. Um, Dee Budapest, one of my mentors, um, she told me she thought it was climate change, um, which I'm thinking is a pretty important theory because of what we're going through right now with climate change. Right. But the fact that we had a mini ice age and suddenly you know, the land was no longer producing, um, it was cold, you know, people were hungry, and they because at the, if women as representative of the goddess were responsible for the abundance before, then when there was no more food, no more animals, no more shelter, the women are going to get blamed for withholding it. So Yeah, it's almost as if goddess let them down. You know, goddess. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Well, and, and, you know, I've talked to other scholars on the show who said, you know, elaborating on that climate change idea a little bit, you know, some people moved you know, north, away, I think it was mm-hmm. north, away from the ice sheets or away, right. from, let's just say away from the ice sheets. Right. And those, <laughs> and, and they started to become 
you know they you know they were you know trying to follow uh, where they could get food, and mm-hmm. as competition, as, you know, there was competition for food. Um, you know, right. the people became the people became more aggressive. Uh, you know, and 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 it became you know it wasn't about the us and the we anymore. It became about the I and the me as people struggled mm-hmm. to survive, and maybe they became um, uh, you know maybe not so passive, and you know as you are if. You know, maybe you, you're living in an, in an abundant land full of food, and you don't have to compete for anything or fight for anything. You know, uh, and 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 that just sort of shifted things. You know, right? Um, right. That there's there, that part of it as well. You know, that you know that those people just became more warlike, more. Um, you know, you know they wanted to control the land. They wanted to control, uh, you know, the food that was available, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it was it was about survival. Exactly, and I honestly think that that's what we're seeing now. You know, that's what we're seeing now with the climate change. We have our climate change deniers. I personally believe that climate change exists, and that um, while it is somewhat of a natural phenomena that happens cyclically, uh, I think that humankind has has advanced it and um, probably hastened it and um, increased it. But um, I also think that it's going to be women that get us through what happens with this climate change because as the bearers and nurturers of the species, the species' survival depends upon women being able to care for children and to bear children. So... I think natural selection is going to ensure that you know women are going to be the ones that get us through this. Yeah. Well, I mean it's it's usually it's always women that hold down the fort, you know. Exactly. Uh you know you know women manage to keep things keep life um life flowing, so to speak, yes. you know. Yes. Um and, and, and you know the mother uh, of two sons, I'm not denigrating men or males in any way. In yeah. any way whatsoever, but I do. I, I love my boys, but I do believe that it will be women that save the planet. Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I, I think it'll probably be a joint effort, but I think it will be um, women and values of the sacred feminine that exactly. will get us through. You know, because Thank when the Dalai Lama said, uh, you know, said it would be Western women who would save yes. the world, I. At first I was happy about that, but then I cringed a little bit because that that oh, left yeah. out, you know, indigenous <laughs> women. It le- yes. left out the good men, you know. Um, I, and so I really think, the, I, I like to think, let me put it this way, I like to think mm-hmm. that if he were really free to say exactly what he meant, maybe what he meant was feminine values as opposed to Western yes. women. That is, you know? would, that is what I believe, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, let me let me mention this. I don't know if you stumbled across it in your research here, uh, and I have to be honest with you. It's a book that I really still want to get. But I I interviewed the editor. Um, it's an anthology. It's called The Rule of Mars, and in it uh, are a number of essays from scholars who put forth different reasons for the shift. To patriarchy, and oh, the one I, I remember, 
Yeah, um, and the the one I remember um, that's different from what we're talking about to just sort of throw it into the mix um, mm-hmm. is the the idea that okay, women are associate or right, goddess is nature, women are associated with associated with goddess. You know, so you have that you know that relationship there. And nature mm-hmm. is not something you can control. You know, nature mm-hmm. is chaotic. And so there's that part of it, too, that perhaps this was man's attempt or humanity, more, you know, more specifically, humanity's attempt at controlling nature um, mm-hmm. was this shift. But specifically, though, uh, what they were really wanted to try to control uh, or uh, was uh, death, you know, because yes. goddess represented the cycles of life. You had to mm-hmm. die. It was inevitable. But it's like yes. they're playing this mind game with themselves. And, you know, patriarchal religion comes along and you have immortality. You live in the hereafter. You know, it's this life isn't important. It's the life that you will have when you die. So they were trying to cheat death. Yeah, that makes sense and with what I learned in American literature many years ago, that nature is is nature is feminine and it is the adversary. And it must be conquered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which makes absolute yeah. sense. Yeah, conquered and controlled. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I mean and, and let's face it, that's what patriarchy is all about. You yes. know, it's not it's not power with, it's power over. You know, yes. it's let's tell everybody what to think, let's tell everybody how to live, you know, let's yes. put everybody in these, these little boxes, um, you know, so that, because it, it, patriarchy doesn't like surprises, you know. No. Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, going off in a lot of different directions here, but it's also <laughs> interrelated, you know. Yes, it uh, it, it's, it, it's also interrelated. W- were there any other myths um, that you can think of besides, like, the, um, uh, the Sleeping Beauty myth that come to mind that, um, you know? They're all so similar. You know, they're, they're all so similar that that, to me, was another um, – point that that there was an original origin um persephone uh inanna or ishtar um snow white sleeping beauty um those were the two main myths that that i discussed um there are many more um yeah i'm just trying to remember them all <laughs> there's so many um you know that the the, the Honestly, I can't think of a single one at this moment. There are so well, many okay. of them that you know. But if you but, read, if, if you are able to get the Charlene Spretnak book, it, it's you know goes all through them. The bottom line is that you know at one time a mother goddess was in charge. When patriarchy came and it, the shift was made by marrying the goddess or raping the goddess or replacing the goddess with a god, and that's just you know whichever myth you look at. Believe me, there was an alternative myth that went far different. Yeah, and that perpetuates, you know, violence, a rape culture, yes. 
Um, you know, and, and I'm sitting here looking looking at a statue of Isis sitting on her throne. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, and that's usually one of the ones I talk about, too, in, in my writing classes. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, going back to your idea with the symbols, the artifacts, I mean, here, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, at least in, in the, it's interesting, is it, in the Egyptian culture where women had more rights, you know, they could have businesses, they yes. could marry, they could divorce, they are the ones that have goddesses sitting on thrones, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the and pharaoh rule, rule. Yeah. Yeah, their Osiris takes the role of Persephone. True. Mhm. And and you know, in this idea that the pharaoh ruled at the pleasure of Isis, you know, she was yes. the one that gave the pharaoh the right to rule. So, you know, if if you grow up and you're a little girl and that's the myth you hear, you know, yes. then much more then then yeah, so much more empowering. You know, you it, you don't even get it into your head that you're the second class citizen. You know, here right. to serve uh, serve the other gender. You know. Well, have you have you heard the the original myth of Isis that you know the great god Ra, who was the father of all the other gods, um, set set a snake to bite him and it was poisonous. And Isis came and saw him writhing in pain, and she said, well, I can save you, but you have to tell me your true name. And he said, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. That will give you all power. And he, she said, well, then die. And he's like, no, 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 no. And he tells her <laughs> the name. And so she saved him, but that also gave her just as much power as he had. Right, right. <clears throat> well, and, and you know, uh, also, too, in, you know, sh- switching over to another uh, you know, a, 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 another pantheon here, mm-hmm. um, talking about Artemis and Zeus, for instance. Yes. Um, you yes. you actually see images of Zeus holding Artemis in his hand, with, and, mm-hmm. and that uh, suggested the idea that Artemis's power was so potent because she was considered one of the magical powerhouses that yes. Zeus even need, need even needed her agency. You know her yes. her power to uh, to be more powerful. And while we're on the subject of Zeus, and, and you know, and this the whole idea of how patriarchy just uh, usurps, uh, you know, female agency and 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 power and everything. Let we can't mm-hmm. forget that um, Athena is birthed from Zeus's head. You yes. know, so they take yes. over the you know the life giving role from women as well. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Well, and and just to look at a modern example, the new Wonder Woman movie that's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. You know, originally uh, Charles uh, Charles Moulton, who was a pseudonym for William Marston, the uh, psychiatrist who's a polymath, Harvard educated, Harvard professor, invented the polygraph test also invented Wonder Woman. And he honestly believed that women would one day be in charge. Um, But he created her. Her origin story is that her mother, the Amazon queen Hippolyta, sculpted her from clay. And the goddesses, Aphrodite, Athena, Artemis, Hera, they are the ones that breathed life into her and brought her to life. In this new movie, Wonder Woman carries a sword, which I hate, and she's a daughter of Zeus. So they're still co-opting oh. our myths. They're still co-opting our myths. Oh, I didn't myths. know that. 
Yes. Oh wow. Now now I now I don't know if I even want to go see it. <laughs> oh, I'm going to see it. It's Wonder Woman. You know, this might be the Wonder Woman that this generation needs and her message is still pretty powerful. You know, her message yeah. is one that, you know, to me what stands out is, is is a panel from one of the comics in which she says, "My people are taught never to kill if we can subdue, never subdue if we can bargain, never and never raise a hand at all before we put a hand out to help." Mm, good and message. that is that is what Wonder Woman means to me. So I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to, you know, we'll see. That's the yeah, message that needs yeah. to get out there. That's the matriarch, well, and, the tristic, the mother message. It, well, and you know, I didn't know that that was Wonder Woman's origin story either. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful origin story. Yes, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Well, and then yeah. they just took it away from us again. Well, you know, I hope when, you know, I hope every, all the writers out there who know about this stuff are paused and ready to, you know, with their articles, you know, uh, ready to hit the send button uh, mm-hmm. as soon as this hits, you know, hits the airwaves out there to uh, inform the general public what Wonder Woman's original myth really was. Um, do you have a blog? <laughs> I do you have a blog. Are putting it out there? <laughs> I will okay. be putting it out there. My blog is very neglected. I haven't been on it in, oh, gosh, a year or two. But um, I'm ready to get back on there and start uh Starts, uh, yeah, yeah. This, this will be a good reason. This will be a good yes. reason to reawaken it. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, In fact, I think I have a, a, a replica of the original comic somewhere that I will probably scan and put up there. Cool, cool. Well, you know what? Please do send me a link, and I will I will, I will help I will. Sh- share it around social media. Oh, thank you. Uh, because thank you. you know, all all of us together, we have a pretty big voice. Um, we do. So, Lisa. Um, what what uh, is, is there anything you wanted to um, share about this topic that maybe we, um, we we haven't gotten to yet? Or um, I'm I don't think so. I think we've pretty much covered everything. Um, the the main thing is that you know I really encourage anyone who's interested in this to just read, 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 read everything you can get your hands on. Everything you can get your hands on. Um, you know, your your this radio blog that you have is wonderful. Your books, phenomenal. Uh, Max Dashu, you know, this uh, Suppressed Histories Archive, definitely go there. Definitely go there because it's just, you know, and follow all the archaeological um, news that you can, in which, you know, there's, there was just a new find, I believe, wasn't there? Another... Um, um. Yeah, yeah, there was uh there, there I I did see something Max posted and uh I yeah. think uh, I think it was a, a paleolithic, maybe they found a paleolithic uh female image, I think. Is that mm-hmm. the one you're thinking of? I yeah. think so. I know that they found another recently uh not a Venus, but you know like a, a sort of Wellendorf type thing that that showed that it was like from the beginning of the shift. Because hmm. it showed Well, you know, if, if uh, well, if you can find a link to that, please please post it on my Facebook page or or send me an email. Okay, yeah, it was found in Channel Hayek. And, okay. Uh, it's um, it was actually the carving was actually uh, rare, and it showed that that people actually had more leisure time, and it showed that this was sort of a, a part of the shift. So I will send interesting. A link to you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I will definitely thank you. send a link to you. 
No problem. Well, I, you, well, I, you know, I don't want you to be so modest. Uh, please, um, uh, you, uh, the uh, the books that people can get access to, your fiction books. Um, yes. Where can they find them? What are the titles? Um, tell okay. us your website. <laughs> all of that good stuff. Um, I don't have a personal website, but my publishers do. Um, you can get my books there, and that would be preferable because then I get more money than if you buy it from Amazon. But um. <laughs> And you support my publishers who are, yes, you support my publishers who are woman-oriented. The publisher's website is Peddler's Group, P-E-D-D-L-E-R-S-G-R-O-U-P, one word, dot com. Or you can't go to Amazon. That's okay, too. Um, um, And uh, the titles of the books, um, the first one is The Amazon Queen Revised. And it's under, my pseudonym at the time was L.M. Townsend Crow. Um, the second one is, is a, a sequel to the first one, and that's Legacy of the Queen. And then there's Daughters of Artemis, which is a separate novel. And then Sword and Sorcerers number 25 has a story I wrote about uh, the fates called Pantheon's Ship Change. Cool, cool. And um, when your fairy tale books come out, please come back on oh, the show. I sure will. You know. I sure will. I'm still writing them, but yes, I absolutely will. Right now, I'm just looking at maybe a group of four stories that sort of explore, you know, Beauty and the Beast tale, Cinderella. Who wants to be, who wants to be identified by a shoe? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just so cliche, you know, fashion and shopping and stuff, which is fun, but I mean, nobody wants to be identified by a shoe. Yeah. Right, um, right, right. I hear you. Um, And oh. Snow White is the one I'm working on right now, so... Okay. All right. Well, we sh- we will have to talk again. And as it Absolutely. turns out, we're in the same same city. I hope we actually cross yes. each other's paths at some point. Well, I think we'll probably see each other at the Goddess Temple. Eventually. I think so. Okay. <laughs> My daughter will be 13 in August, and we'll be regular members then. So. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. Well, well, Lisa, thank you so much uh, for coming thank on you for the show. Me for here. Uh, and you know, and for stepping out and giving your talk at the Goddess Temple, and for doing your writing. I mean, we, I mean, we are we are trying to do nothing short of changing the world. And you know, that's that's, right. that's a tall order, and it's going to it take is. all of us. You know, and uh, I just I feel better uh, knowing people like you are out there. Well, thank you. You too. You do a great service for us all. You know, I I I read I read your. Posts. I, I listen to your blog. I, you know, I haven't read your books yet, but that's next. I have a huge stack to get through first. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't we all? Don't we all have yes. a huge stack waiting for us? <laughs> oh yes, yes. I, I was born with a reading list. I will never finish. So. Um, <laughs> I look forward to retiring because I imagine that, gee, maybe I will actually get to, you know, read a book a week or something. You know, wouldn't that be grand? Oh, yes. I really appreciate you having me, and I'm honored that you asked, and and I thank you so much. Well, uh, my pleasure, my absolute pleasure. I I had fun, and I love the subject, and uh, just the best of luck to you. Thank you. Just, you know, keep being inspired. That's all I can say. (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. And be sure you send me a link to your blog, okay? I will. I definitely will. I'll update it, and then I'll send you the link. (laughs) Okay, great. All right, good night. Thank you. Good night. Oh, you're welcome. Good night. 
Well, and before we move on to Pat and our roving reporters' uh, articles uh, for Earth Day, uh, we have a word from Joe Carson. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the Earth. I'm as much of this Earth as a rock as you. And I came out of this because my mother I grew out of this Earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Uh, Well, you've been listening to the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. In it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of the goddess as Gaia. You know, Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this great film. These spiritual sites range from northern Scotland to central Turkey, and they profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. So if you've always wanted to see them yourself but you haven't, this is a great opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and booklet, and you know what? It's only 20 bucks. You find it at DancingWithGaia.com, DancingWithGaia.com. And, you know, uh, Joe actually has another book out called Celebrate Wildness, and I want to read this review uh, by Dana Corby. Uh, in her blog, The Rant and Raven. Uh, This is about Celebrate Wildness. Dana says, When people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is feriferia. Feriferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's visions of the divine feminine, the sacredness of Eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon themes familiar to Wiccans such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy face. Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom Eros and play are the core values where that built by human hands merges seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were, back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. Though... Uh, Celebrate Wildness is a short book at only 115 pages. It is art-laden, full of art. Don't expect to read it quickly. Take your time. Savor it. Let it sink into your subconscious, and what bobs to the surface will be wondrous. Celebrate Wildness is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper, and it's available for $45 from the same website, Farah Faria. Dot org. That's Farah, 
oh, I'm sorry, different website. This is from feraferia.org, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A. And Dancing with Gaia is at the dancingwithgaia.com website. Uh, two great books. You definitely want to have those on your shelves, uh, no doubt. And uh, as I promised, um, from Pat, we have some uh, Earth Day stories uh, coming up. Um, turns out, according to Marth, uh, Martin uh, N. Serink, uh, that uh, European researchers uh, are spinning off sister marches for science in at least eight countries. Uh, this is out of uh, an article out of Amsterdam. Uh, it says, U.S. cities won't be the only places where lab coats and science-inspired signs will fill the streets on the 22nd of April. Groups in eight European countries have announced solidarity marches in support of the U.S. March for Science to be held on Earth Day. That's this Saturday, people. Uh, some of the rallies will take place on the same day, whereas uh, others uh, don't have a firm date yet. Uh, marches are in the planning stages in the U.K., France, Germany, Switzerland, Ireland, Norway, Belgium, and the Netherlands. Bigger countries may see several. In the U.K., uh, for instance, there are already plans to march in London and Edinburgh and Manchester. In Norway, researchers plan to take to the streets in Oslo and Trondheim. There will be marches in New Zealand and Australia as well. A spokesman for the U.S. March for Science uh, says, We are thrilled. Uh, the Women's March really changed the game here. The second this March was announced, we began getting emails from cities all over the world with people planning on satellite marches. At this point, the Washington March and Rally is a small part of a larger movement, which is exactly as it should be. Uh, so anyway, uh, the article goes on a bit more, but if you are thinking of taking part uh, in, this, uh, in this march, um, you can Google it. I believe it's uh, just called um, the March for Science or, or the Science March. I'm sure you will find it. Um, I know here in L.A. it was uh, marchforsciencela.org. And um, they went on to say, the proliferation of marches is happening as non-U.S. scientists are increasingly debating how to respond to the Trump administration and in some cases taking action. More than 5,000 people have already signed a pledge to boycott academic conferences in the U.S. in response to Trump's executive order halting the flow of refugees and suspending immigration from seven majority Muslim countries. An Australian anesthesiologist announced on Twitter he would stop reviewing papers for U.S. journals. Many others, however, think boycotts could harm U.S. science and would be counterproductive. So we will definitely have to see how this all shakes out. Uh, also, there was another article uh, by Sebastian Murdoch in the Huffington Post. Uh, apparently, Congress just made it officially legal to kill hibernating bears. How sick is that? Is it technically hunting if your prey is sleeping, is the subtitle. Uh, hunters in Alaska can now track and kill hibernating bears thanks to a U.S. House and Senate resolution rolling back Obama-area regulations against the practice. 
President Trump signed the bill into law uh, on Monday, this was in early April, which rolled back Alaska's ban on killing the vulnerable bears along with wolf cubs in dens. It also allows for hunters to target the animals uh, from helicopters. The Republican-sponsored legislation impacts 76.8 million acres of federally protected national preserves across Alaska. Senators Lisa Murkowski, Republican from Alaska, and Dan Sullivan, Republican from Alaska, took to the Senate floor last month to denounce the previous rule that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service issued in August. Murkowski called it bad for Alaska, bad for hunters, bad for our native peoples, bad for America, and a direct attack on states' rights. In Sullivan's argument, the lawmaker said the change was for Alaskans who value hunting as a deep part of their culture. Um, somehow, I doubt that the Native people would find this acceptable. Um, the Humane Society of the United States condemned the rollback. You know, all I can say is what the F. You know, people are just insane. I mean, that's as bad as... Um, when Dick Cheney was hunt, hunting quail. I mean, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. What kind of people are these? Seriously, what kind of people are these? Uh, this next article from Pat, our roving reporter, is titled, A Majority of Americans Disagree with Donald Trump's Hardline Stance on Climate Change. A new poll shows uh, strong public support for remaining in the Paris Agreement and funding uh, Energy Star. Uh, this was an article by Alexander Kaufman, also in the Huffington Post. Um, I'll read just a little bit of it. Just this month, President Donald Trump issued an order to begin unraveling greenhouse gas regulations, flirted with uh, exiting the Paris Agreement, and proposed eliminating funding for climate change research. But the White House's hardline stance against taking action to halt global warming appears to be out of step with most of the country, according to a new Huffington Post poll. More than half of Americans, 57%, believe humans are causing climate change compared with 24% who think the climate is changing but not because of human activity, and 5% who believe the climate isn't changing at all. Um, just two months into his administration, Donald Trump has put in place the most anti-environmental cabinet in our cabinet in our nation's history, and he is quickly becoming the most anti-environmental president ever," said Tiernan Sittenfeld, head of governmental affairs at the nonprofit League of Conservation Voters. In no way did the elections give him a mandate to attack either bedrock environment protections or recent progress, but. Uh, there is a report, climate outlook improves as fewer coal plants are built worldwide. Um, this is by Joe McDonald and Katie Daigle um, from Talking Points Memo out of Beijing. Uh, led by cutbacks in China and India, construction of new coal-fired uh, power plants uh, is falling worldwide, improving chances, climate goals can be met despite earlier pessimism, uh, three environmental groups said Wednesday. 
uh, a joint report by the groups Coal Swarm, the Sierra Club, and Greenpeace follows a warning this week by two international agencies that the world needs to shift quickly away from fossil fuels to curb global warming. Environmentalists were dismayed by President Trump's U.S. government budget proposal last week that would cut spending on renewable energy. Construction starts for coal-fired plants in China uh, and India were down by 62% in January from a year earlier, while new facilities starting operations declined 29%. Uh, It is said older plants in the U.S. and Europe are being retired at a record pace. So I guess in spite of Trump, there is good news, and we might not be the leaders of the world, but at least these other countries... um, or being more progressive. Um, The economic arguments will win out, said Paul Fisher, an economist at Cambridge University Institute for Sustainable Living. Once the financial sector sees it's not in their interest to finance fossil fuels, we'll get there. All right. Well, that about does it for tonight. Uh, I want to thank you all for being with me uh, tonight and every week. I know you have lots of choices uh, where you can spend your time and where you can, um, you know, invest um, your attention. So whenever you tune in here, I greatly appreciate it. I just want to let you know next Wednesday I will be off, but I will be back uh, the first Wednesday in May. Uh, So next week, if you need a fix of Voices of the Sacred Feminine, there is lots and lots of great, great stuff in the archives, as I'm sure you you already know. And uh, in keeping with um, the motto that I like to always put out there, uh, I believe it uh, represents the values uh, of the feminine, you know, mother values, Remember, what you nurture and support thrives and what you neglect withers. And as a side note to that, where you put your attention, that is what grows. So all the more reason to be focusing on uh, the world we want to create as opposed to fighting the things we hate. Uh, I hope that makes sense. I know for a while I had trouble wrapping my head around that, uh, but I think it makes more sense, for instance, uh, to work for a world of peace and sustainability uh, rather than, um, you know, to fight against things uh, because, uh, as, as we know, where we put our attention, uh, where we put our focus, that's the thing that grows and thrives. So let's put our attention on the things we want to see manifest in the world. Uh, that doesn't, and, and do it with happiness. You know, do it with happiness. That doesn't mean we're not going to send our postcards to, to Trump. That doesn't mean we're not going to wear our pink pussy hats. But you know what? We can resist in happiness and gratitude while we vision a new world. Yes, indeed, we can. And I, I really think it would behoove us all to start thinking in terms of uh, these warmongers, these greed mongers, uh, these people who were homophobic, sexist, racists, uh, to think of them as having a disease that needs to be cured. Uh, and I think partnership and love and nurturing and education uh, is the medicine for their disease. There you go. 
let's think about that together. All right, dear friends, uh, thank you so much uh, for tuning in with me tonight. I hope you will go to my website, karentate.com. Once you're there, go to my Goddess Store page. Uh, Please make a a contribution or a donation in any amount. Uh, Or if you're interested in uh, any of my books, including the new one, Goddess 2.0, I would appreciate you purchasing them from me directly, which I'm happy to sign for you. I can also send you Kindle versions. Uh, I would appreciate you uh, buying them from me rather than the multinational corporation Amazon who doesn't need your money. Uh, So thank you very much for your attention, for your listener loyalty. Uh, Please do spread news of uh, the radio show to to your friends and loved ones. And if you haven't already hit the follow button, uh, please do that so you get notice of... um, of the show that uh, is happening each week, especially if you're not on my email list. So let's end this on a funny note. Uh, it's been a long time since I've played any of Celia's funny stuff from her Naughty and Pink album. Um, I think, uh, let's see, let's do the, you know, in honor of the Pink Pussy Hats, uh, let's. I think we're going to go ahead and play uh, Celia's um, My Pussy song from her Naughty in Pink album. Here we go. My pussy has a first name, it's P-U-S-S-Y. My pussy has a last name, it's P-U-S-S-Y. I love my little pussy, I love her very much. You can look at my pussy, but... Thank you.
my pussy gets real clean With a lot of licks She can sit and beg roll over Cause I taught her lots of tricks She always does her business In the box I love my little pussy Cause my pussy rocks La, 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 la She's my pussy She's way better than a pooch She is pedigree Her middle name 